Today we have Sterling White on the show. Do you want to know how to turn your life around? Sterling White is a perfect example of how anyone can turn their life around. Despite coming from a very difficult background, he was able to focus on his goals and achieve great success. He utilized real estate as his wealth vehicle and now owns a multi-million dollar multifamily portfolio. If you want to achieve similar success, then listen closely. Sterling is going to share with you the secrets that have led him to this point in his life so you can apply them in your own journey. This is an opportunity you don't want to miss. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Sterling White before we start the show. Sterling White grew up on welfare and chose to focus on how to build wealth by expanding his mindset and being creative. He loves to help others learn how to find deals. He lives in the Houston area, and in addition to building a multi-million dollar multifamily portfolio, he enjoys studying various philosophies. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Sterling White on the show. Sterling, appreciate you coming on the show. Yes, I'm super excited. Everyone, go ahead and get your popcorn ready because we're going to drop some absolute bombs and golden nuggets and grab a bag as well, a paper bag or plastic bag if you're more eco-friendly because (laughs) we're going to drop those and you'll want to pick those up as we go. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So just a little bit on how I know Sterling. This is actually the first time I'm talking to this guy, but like he's all over social media and he's created an awesome brand for himself. Um, he's been on, on Bigger Pockets and he's a big contributor there. And so I'm excited to have him on and, and share with the, uh, the audience here. So with that, um, typically first question I ask is how many properties and how many units you're invested in? Yeah. So at this moment in time, I own just under 200 units. I was up to about 580 at, or just over 500 at one point. But the, over the years, it's been a really great time to, to sell. <laughs> That's true. There's, and we'll probably get into that because there's some, I have a lot of different syndicators on the, on the show and there's some that are like, hey man, I, I'm selling out and I'm sitting on the sidelines waiting for the correction. There's others that are like, uh, hey, I'm continuing to buy um, because who knows if it's two months or six months or two years from now when, when the correction comes. So, um, hey, why don't we start off by, you're, one, you're in Indiana. Is that correct? Oh, I'm in Houston, Texas you're, now. Oh, man. Did you grow up in Indiana? Uh, yeah, I was born and raised in Indianapolis and just moved to Houston uh, February of uh, last year. Yeah, everything I would say uh, is on the side of everything being larger in Texas is true, except my toilet. <laughs> it's the same size as the ones back home. That's funny. Like, on that note, so I'm I'm in the North Dallas area, and I'm an East Coast guy from Connecticut, and I, I moved here probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. And I remember the first time going to a restaurant, and they were like, you know, when I ordered a beer, they are like, Big or small? I'm like, how do you order a small, you know, when you're in Texas, right? You know, give me the big, right? And it's it's massive, right? So it everything is bigger in Texas. Uh, and the but, smaller one is above average size, I would say. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a, a small is a pint or larger, right? So, hey, talk about um, finding deals. You also, um, you know, you're also big on off-market deals, so... 
Talk about both, you know, how do you source deals and, you know, how do you leverage off-market deals? Yes, but first I did want to just give everyone uh, that is not familiar uh, with me just a little bit of background on myself. And I'll give the Cliff Note, Spark Note version. So born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana, not so good parts of the the city, grew up on welfare, Section 8 uh, housing, uh, food stamps, uh, twin brother, single mother, as I may have uh, mentioned. And I remember at one point, Darren, is that every day you never knew that if you would actually make it to the next day. And I remember at five years old, both my brother and I were sitting down at the kitchen table uh, eating ramen noodles and cut up hot dogs. And then as soon as we go upstairs, a bullet comes right through the back patio where You're we were sitting. You're kidding me. Yeah. And that was just another day and living in the, the, the hood. Uh, and uh, from that is luckily mother ended up moving us out of that environment. And that's why it's really key. The people you surround yourself with, because what happened is I formed a new friends group. However, my brother went back to that old environment and uh, stayed with those friends. And we took a completely different trajectory uh, in life. So that's one thing I want to share with everyone. Uh, And fast forward, how I really got started in real estate was my uh, friend's dad owned a construction company. And this is while I was in college, so about 19, 20 years old. Uh, and that's when I fell in love with it. Uh, but not so much being a laborer because I was a construction worker. Uh, and then I started reading books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which everyone is familiar with that book. Uh, sure. and, I, and I learned that the wealthy did not get that way by being laborers. They were actually investors. So I started buying single families and partnered with someone who had the cash because I didn't have the the cash actually owed the bank money uh, and then ended up scaling to 150 single families. And then in 2017, that's when I started buying uh, multifamily. That's huge. Um, so I want to go back to your story real quick um, and relate it to, to a story that I, I was told when I was, I remember I was in kindergarten and went into, you know, we're sitting Indian style and then, you know, in the library of the, of the school and somebody came in to speak and they, and they spoke about two brothers, right? One very successful, the other one always in trouble, went into jail and, and they asked both of them the question, why do you think you ended up where you did? And they both answered it the same way because my father was an alcoholic. And so like you, you know, you ended up, coming from that environment and decided you wanted something different. And so in order to get there, you need to hang out with different people and learn different things. And that's what I would say with to listeners also is, look, if you want to get into investing in real estate or, you know, starting your own business, whatever the case may be, whatever is like in your gut, you need to get out and surround yourself with those people because your friends and family that are not investing in real estate they can't give you the advice because they haven't been there, you know? So anyway, I just wanted to share that. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, and I, I'm very thankful to the big man upstairs that um, you followed that path and congratulations. Yeah. And one thing I also want to piggyback on when it, when it comes to that is that same story that you mentioned, Earl Nightingale has a, a similar story with two individuals that say that is that easily, and this goes into the growth mindset versus victim mindset, I could have used that circumstance to say, whoa, it's me, I'm not meant to be anything because of this environment, but I decided to say, well, I grew up in that environment, hey, I can actually use that as fuel, which I still do to this day, uh, that, hey, I never want to go back to that. Also, I want to be an ideal and a message for the kids in that environment that, hey, I know this is the common path that's pushed on you, drugs, uh, illegal activity, all this, but here's the path that I took and here's the blueprint. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. You you can be an inspiration and a role model to, to those kids um, as another way. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, all right. So let's get back to um, finding deals, off market deals, finding deals in general. How do you source deals? Um, sounds like that's, that's an area that you're very um, attuned at. Yeah, And this started really when made the shift from single family. So having that many single families, 150 or so is, I would, I would say, I wouldn't call it a nightmare, but it was quite a bit <laughs> to, to be able to, to manage because one was self-managing. So there was a lot of infrastructure from the amount of employees uh, and then also the transactions. So the 150 or so single families, 
it was about 110 to 120 transactions because these were a lot of one-offs. Lucky, maybe get a package of two or three. So in order to get to that one property, had to look at 10, 15, maybe 20. So it was a lot of volume with that. And then took a step back and said, okay, now what's the more scalable model? And then that's when multifamily made the most sense. And then made that shift and then started going through brokers. However, this was in 2017 where the market really started to, to heat up uh, and people were paying 15, 20, 25% more than what we thought was conservative or even sometimes a little bit more of aggressive uh, of an offer and took a step back again and pivoted, uh, which is what I really learned about entrepreneurship and said, okay, well, why not beat the brokers to the punch and go direct to the owner? And then that's when the process really started from there. So if you're going direct to owner, I'm assuming, I could be wrong, but I'm assuming that it's um, smaller scale multifamily. So, you know, anywhere from five units to say 40 or 50 units. Because um, the larger, in my experience, the larger multifamily properties, 70, 80, 100, 200, 300 unit properties, you know, the majority of that is brokered deals whether it's off market or on market? Yeah, so I would say yes to your, your question. However, in my situation, the first deal was a 46 unit. The next one was a 50 unit, then 280 units and 156 unit, actually all taking that uh, approach. So it was one of those things that people said, okay, well, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What you said is that the higher the unit count you do right. go, the more sophisticated the operator. And they'll say, well, I'll just list it on the market. But there is still some gems that are in there. And at that time, is it worked out from a return on investment or return on time. Now it would be more even difficult to hit, especially once you get over or close to 100 units. Or even but, I would say but 40 But that's to interesting. 50. I, I think you're the first person that really has talked about being able to, to find those direct to owner um, at that scale, at that level, 80, 100, 150 units. Um, that, so that's interesting. So how did you, what was the play with those, with those um, transactions? Like why, why did the seller sell to you versus marketing the deal? I'd say it was partly, uh, I would say 100%. It was just my smile, Darren. That's all it was. I just, <laughs> I just, I, I said, hey, let's hop on a Zoom call. I smile and they say, all right, let's go. Let's rock and roll. That's I told you, listeners, this guy, this guy is smooth, man. He's, he's a social media uh, magnet. Yeah. So in case anyone wants to replicate that, I'll figure out a way to mold my smile and then you can take that and insert it into yours. That's but, funny. uh, I would say one of the things is that I was very persistent uh, and I would say in a, I would say one persistent and then also creative uh, was the thing. And then also doing that over a longer duration of uh, time. So I was very targeted in the list. So targeting C-class properties built around 1970. So you could even say D-class, but is uh those age of properties in C plus to B minus to B locations. So very niche in that. And then pull the list. And then the primary touch point was uh, cold calling. And on top of cold calling, let's say an owner, they would mention, hey, not interested in selling right now because there's different types of uh, not interested. So if they would say not right now, I would take different angles as a way just to stay top of mind. As an example is I would send a Rubik's Cubes, the owners that would say, hey, a small note on the Rubik's Cube and say, hey, let's figure this out as a prime example, as a way to follow up. And then also I would do personal visits. Let's say, and this was an 80 unit that acquired in uh, Louisville or Louisville or Louisville, however you want to pronounce that. <laughs> and so I was, it would be Monday and then I would follow up with one uh, owner and say, hey, Bill, I'm actually going to be in town this upcoming Thursday. Want to enjoy putting my hand in your hand. I'm going to be grabbing some coffee. I can go ahead and swing by and uh, give you. So I would use that as a follow up. And then I would follow up with all the other owners uh, as well. An additional way, and this is one gem I would say is the value-based follow-up, because on that one property, there was owner right across the street, and he needed some help 
uh, with the, his, uh, what is it, renovations on parking lot, on this parking lot. So I helped him with finding a vendor as a prime example. So these are all the creative ways that I end up learning to give you the upper hand over the competition. That, that's, that's huge. And that's, that's creative and that's hustle factor too. I mean, and, you know, at the end of the day, people are people, right? And people yeah. want to do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And that goes for the seller, right? And, and if you beat, you know, I guess part of that wasn't really said, but part of it is, you know, you built a relationship and built the trust before a broker got to that seller and built yep. that trust. So and that's then, their job is to get out there and cold call and get those listings and you beat them to the punch, you know? Um, and it's the same thing on the broker side. I mean, like, look, if you're, if you are going after the larger deals and you want to use brokers, you know, brokers are going to work with people that they know, like, and trust, and they're going to, feed the deals over to them and, and then passive investors. They have a choice, you know, when they get into the game and they want to invest their 50 grand or hundred grand, they're going to see a bunch of deals and they're going to say, okay, who do I want to invest with? You know, some people are going to want to invest with Sterling. Some people are going to want to invest with Darren. Some people are going to want to invest with somebody else. And that's fantastic. That's, that's what life's all about is you do business with people that you, you know, like, and trust. So, I love that you, you know, you spent the time and then you were, you were paid for it basically because you, you bought deals that I'm sure at a much more attractive price than, than the marketed deals. Yeah. And that's the, the dilemma that most people face is there is a lot that goes into this, a lot of follow-up, yeah. a lot of rejection, which most people are just not, uh, they don't enjoy that, which I would say you've got to detach from earth. Uh, because there's rejection everywhere. But this is even more uh, tougher, I would say. And uh, there was going to be one more thing I was going to mention on that, but I just, it just lost my train of thought. Yeah. So I, I mean, I recently met with a broker and I'm predominantly invested in multifamily, both LP and GP. Um, but I'm starting to look at the RV space and, um, so I met with a broker and I'm like, look, you know, everything I'm reading and if I went direct to these RV owners, I probably would get a better margin. And the broker was like, yeah, you would, you know, like if you want to spend the time to do that, then do that. You have to set up the systems and processes and, and the time, or, you know, you leverage the relationship with me and you're not going to get it as at the margin that you would have if you went direct, but you're not going to have all the headaches. So it's a decision point as well. Yes, and that's what I was actually going to go into and give you a prime example, the 156 unit that was acquired. This was just over $6.2 million, and this is in Indianapolis, so properties are a lot much more affordable. A broker minimally would have listed that for $7 million, and I'm sure it would have got it bidded up more than that. So that's just a prime example on the savings uh, that you get, but then it's all the time invested, and then also the uncertainty because with these deals is you just never know which one you can end up getting under contract. Uh, so there's that uh, aspect as well. I mean, you're saying that, what do, what do you mean by that piece, that end piece about you never know when you're going to get one into a contract? So let's say when expanded to the uh, Louisville market, so from Indianapolis to Louisville, pulled all the apartments that were between 75 to 160 units and right. started to do the outreach and the prospecting is you don't know which one you could, or it could just not end up working out at all. So you have that risk of the uncertainty of doing of that. So that's the other aspect. Yeah. I mean, but you have that, you, right. You have that uncertainty on marketed deals too, right? I mean, you you have but the, you 30 have offers much, and then but you don't have as much as the time invested right. into that so that's the other aspect yeah i i get you i get your point there um so are you still doing that outreach or have you sh have you pivoted again and and are using working with brokers more so at this moment in time on the acquisitions i've completely peeled back when it when it comes to that cuz the return on time just was not there so you're leveraging, you're, you're going brokers, after the yeah. larger deals and you're leveraging brokers. Correct. So, 
you know, maybe, well, you can talk to it because you've gone through it. Um, you know, it sounds like it could be a phased approach for some, you know, um, you know, I would like you to talk about m mindset, you know, mindset, you can believe that you could only buy a duplex or a fourplex or eight unit and, you know, can't, can't really, um, buy a 40 unit or 80 unit or 200 unit. Um, but your mindset can also expand with time. So it could be such that if an investor doesn't believe they could really achieve taking down a hundred unit, you know, they just don't believe it in their head. They don't think that they could find the right partners and, and learn it. And well, maybe this outreach is a, is a good approach to, Hey, get a deal that's done. That's in a smaller, you know, 20 unit or 30 unit. And then if you're starting to go larger, maybe you pivot just like Sterling did. What's your yeah. thought on that? Yeah, I would say that. And one thing I do is want to backpedal as well that Darren, I've, when it comes to the acquisitions of properties, I pretty much put everything on hold altogether. So on the wait and see and been diversing over the years to see if there is a correction that's going to uh, happen, because I have started to see a slowdown. So that's one thing I also uh, want to premise. But also what helped me is that through starting uh, listening to the Earl Nightingales, the Jim Rohns, the, the Tony Robbins, the Norman Vincent Peels, is I had so much positive reinforcement uh, with how I ended up viewing the world uh, and just going out there and making things happen. Because originally is where I came from, the, the, the people such as my mom did the best she could with what she had, but it wasn't the information that I actually needed. So I had to remove a lot of that garbage, for lack of better words, and replace it with more empowering. So when I started that transition from single families to the first deal was a 46 unit, it wasn't even daunting for me to be able to do that. And then after that, it was a 50 unit. Then it went from an 80 unit to an 80 unit and then doubled that to 156 unit. At no point in time, I ever thought that, man, this is going to be a daunting of a, a property because I just brainwashed myself for like, uh, for uh, brainwashed <laughs> myself to just saying that, okay, whatever this is, this uh, obscure challenge, I'll figure out a way. And this is why it's key to have the right people around you as well because the people around me were on the same page when it came to that. Yeah. That's, that's huge. I mean, when, when you have other people on your team that have been like, look, this is another one of those, like I've done this before, like, you know, we got this, you know, that gives a lot of confidence, um, versus, you know, going at it yourself. So talk about social media. I'm interested, like you, like I, I saw you said something about omnipresence in digital marketing. So Talk about like how you approach social media and um, your digital marketing and your brand and, and all of that. Yeah. And I learned the omnipresence from uh, GC. So Grant, I call him GC, but uh, Grant Cardone, I had him on the podcast a while back. And this is one of the concepts he talks about is just being everywhere so people can see you and get familiarized uh, with you. It's very similar to what Coca-Cola does with all their advertisement everywhere. And I remember being on the uh, podcast, this was John Kasman's podcast, and he really hit the nail on the head is that everyone's got a personal brand, whether they know it or not. And with social media, you can shape your personal brand and how people perceive you. So that's what all these tools are, how I view them for uh, versus going on there and being a consumer of the product is figuring out ways how to exactly uh, leverage it. And how I view it is, uh, content marketing. And one book that really hits the nail on this too, and I keep using that example, hits the nail on the head, but <laughs> is uh, uh, Jab, Jab, Bright Hook by uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. And the jabs are Gary essentially, B, yep. yes. And the jabs are essentially the content marketing. So being value-based in your messaging or five tips to put together a syndication or just sharing your story. And then in essence is your right hook is, hey, this is the upcoming deal that I have to invest. But from experiences, when you create so much value for people, you don't even have to actually go for the right hook. Yeah. And so what's your advice? Because I've had people say, well, I want to get my first deal or I want to go full cycle before I start putting something out on social media. And I'm like, look, there's people in your network that are not in my network, that are not in Sterling's network. 
and they want to learn and like, and they may relate more to you if you start saying, Hey, look, I'm starting to look at real estate deals and they kind of go along in that journey with you versus, all right, you come back and you start posting and you already have five, 200 unit deals under your belt. They may not be able to relate to that because that's not the position that they're in. Yeah. And that is a great point. I believe that person is just looking for a way to weasel out or uh, as an excuse. Uh, maybe not, though, but is that what I've learned, and this is exactly how I started before I even had my first deal, was I was just documenting the journey. Uh, and then also is I was on bigger pockets in, in the forums helping people who was where I was that, let's say, they haven't even made a decision just yet to invest in real estate, but they're considering it. Or right. let's say they want to be in Indianapolis and they're looking at XYZ zip codes. That's another way I would provide value and say, hey, just from my personal experience, I would consider that a C-type neighborhood based upon these things. So those are ways you can also be of value to people. So it's just understanding your weaknesses uh, that you do have. And yes, it, it would be good and optimal in a way to get to that uh, point to where you've closed on a deal and then you could provide uh, those success stories. But there still are people that are, let's say, not as or what's that word, or just beginning, beginning that you can also help as well, that maybe you're just two to three steps ahead and they would really enjoy that knowledge that you have as you're just two to three steps ahead of them. Yeah, I'm, I completely, completely agree. And I, and I think that uh, for me, and I think a lot of investors, I don't know if you went through this also, um, but when you first get in, you're kind of thinking of it as, how do I grow my wealth and my family's wealth and then as you learn it and you start giving back, you know, whether it's a podcast or a book or posting on social media or talking at conferences, whatever the case may be, it's like this ripple effect that you don't even realize. And so, you know, for listeners, man, like you're just thinking about getting your first deal, but three years from now, there are going to be people in your network that are going to be asking you how you did it. And then you're going to help them. Yeah. And you never know what you could share at the stage where you're at that could just light the fire underneath someone else. And I've had people that I've been on their their podcast and they say, hey, from those early days, uh, Sterling, you really helped me get through some tough times and all that. And I'm just thinking, I mean, I was just sharing my story. I mean, well, I'm glad that that was able to, to help you. But uh, people don't realize the impact that they have on others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like, so there's wealth, financial wealth, and then there's, man, just being a person that can help another person, you know, when, even when there's no financial gain to it is just brings so much joy. So um, that that's huge. So how do you find um, investors? So this goes back to the the digital uh, marketing. So the, the content marketing 101 is just pushing out uh, content. So there's one or two ways I would say that you can go about it. There's other ways that you could do, but there's the outreach. So the outbound, and then there is the app inbound. The inbound takes more work, but the leads are more quality. And what that is, is such as Darren, you have your, your podcast is a content marketing strategy from the inbound side. So an investor listens to your, your content and they decide whether or not, OK, well, I enjoy uh, Darren, his uh, his content. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, and he's also got a great smell, all these different things. And they decide, OK, well, let me uh, invest with them. Uh, so that's a form of inbound uh, marketing. Uh, and then the other approach is the outbound marketing where you're, let's say, what I do on the acquisition side for multifamily is calling, uh, let's say, investors, a specific list. But just to go back full circle and everything, that's what I've done is just the content marketing, putting out my messaging and story and then also value based content. And that's a way to get investors into the funnel. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a twofold uh, approach to it. One is, you know, each of us are you know, syndicators that look for investors also. Um, but we're also looking to help. Like I, I want, I didn't know about this until four years ago that you could even do this, invest in these large multifamily deals. Right. And 
I want to let more people know that they can do it. They don't have to just put their money in the stock market and the returns are better. And it's, I feel like it's a safer place to be um, investment wise, capital preservation wise. Um, and, you know, you have to be on somebody's investor database in order to get invited to a deal. And it, so, so and also expo exposing yourself uh, to that also helps too in making the decision because uh, this goes back to really the example of surrounding yourself around the right people, but also, uh, what is it, taking the initiative, too. Because uh, I never thought that, I always thought you had to exchange time uh, for money, as an example. I never thought uh, that you can invest in uh, a property and earn money uh, passively. And then also the wealth building. That was never taught to someone who was in the environment that I ended up coming from. But it wasn't until I started exposing myself to the, the different books, going to the library, all of that, and then putting myself around the, the right people, that's when I was able to obtain different knowledge uh, and uh, information. And then that's how I would say for uh, listeners too, is that how you're able to come across this uh, because most of the time, uh, what, what's that, uh, what I'm looking for is that, uh, I mean, investing in uh, real estate is uh, for, that it used to be only for the, the wealthy in a way, not being able to do it through syndication. Sure. But now we've since opened the doors up for that. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a whole nother world. And I wish, look, I'm 52. You're young. You're younger than me. What are you in your thirties? 31. 31, man. So and look, there's people, I wish I had started way back when. And um, so I applaud you that you've gotten into it at, at such a young age. And, and you have all these years of compounding of, of um, in your investment and just rolling it over into and in growth ahead of you. Um, so that that's fantastic. Um, what about fear? I mean, people are afraid that haven't done real estate before, like... Even just doing your first single family, I mean, that's a, it's a much larger investment than buying a, a stock on the stock exchange. You know, you could buy 10 shares or 50 shares. Um, how do you get over that fear? So this is one hack that I do. Not sure if I would recommend this for people, but it's worked for me. <laughs> is, is, is I doing... did this, but don't do this. Don't do this at home, boys and girls. <laughs> yes, only suitable for TV and entertainment purposes. <laughs> so is I do things out of my comfort zone, uh, such as I am petrified of heights, you guys. Uh, and at one point I jumped off a 60, 65 foot cliff. Uh, we'll never do it again. But nice. uh, into water, of course, not in just uh, random into the ground. That wouldn't be good. But is I do those types of things and also uh, doing bungee jumping. So uh, is as a way to step out of my comfort zone in other areas of life, because that also translates to, to real estate. And how that works is, let's say on the acquisition side, I will literally, Darren, uh, call an owner. They will hang up on me and say, I told you last week, or let's, uh, they'll say something not very nice because they may not be in a very good mood. And this is someone they I've been And they couldn't see your smile over the, over the phone. That's what right? it was. I, I, <laughs> I tried to really open the smile up to where they could hear it and feel it, but it just didn't work. <laughs> right. And so is I would then the next day or even let's say a, a week later or so, I would just show up in their office. A lot of people would get very uncomfortable to do something like that, such as following up. I've never been thrown out of someone's office, but that's because I've done things in other areas to step out of my uh, comfort zone. So that's one hack that, okay, if I can jump off a 60-foot cliff that I'm petrified of heights, uh, I could buy a single-family house by, of course, protecting your downside, but that's how I view it. Yeah, that, that's cool. I like I like that. I I would tell people like think back in their in their um, in their mind, and you can image different circumstances when you were afraid and you did something, and it turned out good, and then you you build off those events, and that's what you're doing with the with getting in the you know uncomfortable situations. You're building up those memories of. Man, I was I was scared to jump. I jumped. I'm, I I was fine, um, mm -hmm. and I'm glad I did it. And you know, I don't know if I'll do it again, but you know, um, and then and then continually 
getting out of your comfort zone um, pushes you to, to new boundaries. And I've seen that with, with so many different successful people that when they reach one goal, they set the next bar higher. And it's, you know, it's not always about I need to make more money or have more units or build greater wealth. But some of it is, you know, never written a book or never, you know, spoke on stage or whatever the case may be. But like these people push the boundaries of getting uncomfortable. So I, I love that. Yeah. And you can also use a negative experience, too. There's times where I wouldn't often want to do this because that's a, a different place to, to go into. But uh, there's been times where and I remember there was that this uh, uh, I, I wrestled back in high school. The most I would cut was uh, 10 pounds in one day. Definitely would not recommend that. Very dangerous. But is that there was one point where there was I wouldn't call it the, the championships, but there's sectionals, regionals. And then there's the state championship. And myself is I was so afraid, you guys, to, to show up to sectionals, which is uh, what is it? I mean, you you, you end up. I win that match and the second match, and then I move on to the next set to then go up to the the the, the top being the the state uh, with the the best elite wrestlers. And from that is, I didn't even show up, Darren. I was so scared of that, and I remember showing up the the next day in school and was just being I wouldn't call it bullying, but everyone just called me a quitter. Uh, and then also when when I was in that moment, I I woke up and I was ready, but I was just too scared. And I knew that feeling afterwards when everything was done is I should have just ended up doing that. And that was a feeling that I never want to go through that again. I, I think there's, there's some, you know, real, you know, something you can grab out of that for sure. Um, you know, it's like you, my kids ask me, hey, dad, do you have any regrets? And look, I've made mistakes for sure. But regrets... I'm like, you know what? The one that sticks out is in college. I went to the University of Rhode Island. I would every now and then would go down to the baseball fields and watch the team. And I'm like, you know, I'd like to try out, you know, but as a walk-on. But I was afraid like to get cut or whatever. And and I didn't do it. I said, that's the only thing that I'm really regretful of is that I didn't try. Like if I had tried and I got cut, no big deal. You know, like yeah, it would have been a bummer at first, but the not knowing, looking back, um, is the is probably the hardest thing. And I, you know, look, we're in this real estate world. There are a lot of people that want to do it. They've heard other people, but they're so afraid. And like, I want you and me and other people to help these people off the ledge. You know, um, now look, we are at a at a difficult part in in the real estate market i mean in terms of interest rates rising really high valuations and and you know is now the best time but it's like if not now when like if not you know at some point you're gonna have to pull the trigger and so how do you coach people that are come to you like they want to do their first deal how do you coach them to you know make that first step that's a hard step yeah. So the first is to make the decision. Uh, that's first and up foremost. And I would say many people who have made that decision, what ended up working out uh, for me is I ended up partnering with someone because I didn't have the, the cash. I made the decision. I want to be in real, real estate. And this was when I was shifting from the construction side and being a laborer that, hey, I want to start buying single families. But I understood my weaknesses was, hey, I don't have any cash. I don't have any credit, which credit isn't too much, but is that I I actually owe the bank money because I would just always withdraw, just not being financially smart at my younger age. <laughs> and so we I were all there. Yeah. So is I ended up there was this person that I was I formed a relationship. And this goes back to the real relationship aspect at my uh, CrossFit gym. Uh, we worked out together, never even thought they would be my mentor. And then just one day I overheard a conversation that he was looking to help uh, do construction and to build that out at, at the gym because they were looking to expand. And I said, hey, Will, would enjoy taking you out to, to Subway. Had no clue I was actually going to pay for it. Hopefully he was going to pay for it, which he did. And I said, how can I be of value to you in your business? And I could uh, see that. He's like, uh, I don't know. And I said, here's the kicker. You don't have to pay me anything. 
And that's how I was really able to get my foot in the door and started helping him within this property management company. And then shortly after that, he came to me and said that, because he owns some multifamily, that, hey, I'm looking to buy single family. Uh, normally it's single family, multifamily, but he wanted to go the other way. And I said, well, that's good. Uh, that He had the cash, but he didn't have the time. I had the time, but didn't have the cash. And then that's how that first deal ended up coming to fruition. That, that's great. I, I love, you said this two or three times. You said the first step, is making a decision. And I completely wholeheartedly agree with that. Look, if you want to get into this world, you have to just firmly decide and then commit to, yeah. to making it happen. And then once you do that, your mind shifts to being solution oriented. Like how, okay, well now I've decided I'm going to do it. I'm, I know I'm going to do it. How? You know, who am I going to partner with? You know, how am I going to accomplish it? What What's the next step? You know, and you just go after the next step and then the next step and then the next step. And like, don't get bogged down in the fact that there's a, all these unknowns. And I want to rewind back to that because you made a very critical point on top of my critical point is that is once you make the decision, it's this thing that's out there. Tony Robbins calls it the reticular activation system. But basically is your brain will start to pick up all the things that will help you closer to your goal. And that's exactly what happened to me is that, okay, I made the decision. I want to start buying single family. I knew all these weaknesses. And then just somehow through the universe, I'm not getting all woo-hoo, wah-ha, but <laughs> I guess it does work. But, it, it, right. Yeah. It kind of does happen that way, though. Yeah. Yeah, and then I just started pulling certain things that able enabled me to bridge the gap from where I was to where I wanted to go. Yeah, I was driving with with a um, another real estate guy yesterday. We're we're going and looking at um, RV parks and stuff, and and he's like, you know, I never really noticed all the RV parks, you know, before, but now that we're looking, I see them all. It's just like you go buy a new car. And all of a sudden you see all the same car all over the road. You never used to see them before. The same idea happens. Like once you decide and commit to doing that, you're like, okay, well, what meetup groups can I go to? What conferences can I go to? Who could I meet? You know, how does this ha work? You know, what, who else do I have to meet? Is it brokers? Is it lenders? Is it, you know, and you just go after it. And like one question leads to another solution and then, and then you're off and running. But I love that you said you have to make that decision, you know, because until that point, you know, there's a lot of people that say, yeah, I'd like to get into real estate. Well, that's not a decision. No. You know, you could say that today and you'll have the same <laughs> saying a month from now, a year from now. Like you actually have to decide and commit. So and for, for you, Darren, what percentage yeah. of people, if you were to try and put a, a percent on it, that yeah. actually, let's say they're considering on uh, getting into real estate. What do you believe actually convert to getting to that first deal? Less than a percent? Less than 5%? Yeah, yeah, or? yeah, I've never thought about the percentage, but I, I would say it's a very low percentage. Um, so I was, ah, so my background, I started as a CPA and then I was in, you know, fast forward, I, I was uh, trading large loan portfolios um, between banks. And I remember seeing this guy's tax return and his net worth was like 20 million and he only paid like $17,000 in taxes. And I was like, how is that possible? And he had all this depreciation, right? Um, allocated. And, but, you know, I didn't take action off of that. You know, what I should have done looking back is said like, well, how did he do that? Like, let me learn more because I want to do that, right? And instead I kept working as a W-2 employee and then I later started my own company. But that, that was something that could have been a clue. Another, I've been to conferences where somebody said, hey, you know, the lighting guys and the audio visual guys, you know, so you mentioned Tony Robbins a few times, right? Well, people that do stage work and audio, they listen to Tony Robbins over and over and over again. And I applaud the ones that say, you know what? He's saying some good stuff here. I'm going to go and do that versus the ones that they don't take action on what he's saying. They're, they're in the room for free. They're getting paid to do the lighting or the audio visual or whatever. Like, learn from the guy. He's one of the best public speakers out there, you know, motivational speakers. So 
Um, yeah, some people, and, I don't and, know. They just let it go in one ear and out the other, I guess. And this is the question that I've been, uh, when it comes to the philosophy side is, is there always going to be the have and have nots just due to exactly what you mentioned, that the people that have, or let's say, uh, what is it, the... 1% of the wealth or uh, what is it? 90% of the wealth is by 1% or 5% of the people is that is it always going to be that way just due to exactly what we talked about. There's only a finite of people that actually take action. I, I think there will always be a disparity with regards to that. Um, so I skipped the single family side and I went right into multifamily and I joined a mentorship group and surrounded myself with people that were doing it and, and uh, learned from the M and all that. But I've seen from these conferences, let's just say 50 people joined on a weekend conference, right? And a year later, I say it's kind of the 80-20 rule. Like maybe there's 10 that are still like banging away trying to get that deal. And, you know, the other 40 paid their money you know, just like the other, the 10, but they, you know, they didn't put the time and effort in. You, you know, you got to commit. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's not like when you get in, they just come knock on your door. Here's a deal, right? You, you got to, but there's people out there that will help you and will teach you and will support you. And, um, and there's partners that will want to work with you. They don't know that you exist. Yeah, and that's the thing is you don't have to do it all uh, on your own. That was one of the biggest things that I also learned too. Uh, and the 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 reading the book, uh, four hour uh, work week, and there was other books that I read too. But that really just helped with understanding my strengths and then also weaknesses. And then shortly after I find my mentors, I ended up finding someone. This is the the partnership where I ended up scaling to just close to about uh, over five hundred units. Is that that person was the complete opposite. Of me, I'm more of a, you could say in ways, extrovert, uh, not afraid to, of rejection, going out there networking, uh, putting myself out there in the content marketing side. And he's more of an analytical. Uh, Sterling, I'll go to the meetup with you, but I just want to stand in a corner type of person. <laughs> Great right. guy on the underwriting. Uh, so that was uh, one of the things that helped him really starting to build people around me because it's a team sport. Yeah. People say that in multifamily over and over and over again, team sport. And and it really is. I mean, there's, there's partners, there's vendors, there's finance people, attorneys, there's, you know, all kinds of, there's property management companies. And, but you can ask other people, like, who do you use? That was one of the huge benefits of surrounding myself with other people that have done it. I'm like, who do you use for property management? Who do you use for your attorneys? Like, so you don't have to recreate the, the wheel. Yeah. And you just saved yourself what is it out? I mean, thousands of hours or let's say hundreds of hours. And then also the risk too right. that that person may have gone through, let's say three or four contractors in order to get that one contractor that they just provided to you. Right. Absolutely. So, Hey, do you have a, a mastermind or any kind of teaching program that you do? Yeah. So I do have a accelerator that I also help people with, and that's more of uh, individuals that do want to take the direct-to-owner to approach and just scale from and transition from single-family to multifamily. So what is that all about? How, tell, tell me and the listeners what, what that's all about. So what it goes into is taking the more hybrid approach uh, when it comes to the acquisitions, primarily, hey, these are the ways and the whole infrastructure set up to acquire mid-size uh, apartments. So there's that, that, that aspect. And then also creating an omnipresence uh, through the content marketing and really creating a personal brand for yourself just to have a steady flow of an investors that want to invest uh, with you in your deals. That, that's huge. I mean, I, look, and you're giving back... And there, look, there's a, I'm sure there's a financial gain, like you charge for it. Um, but look, I paid money to join a mentorship group and I'm like, it was w money well spent. I, I don't think I would have gotten, you know, I went from a duplex to 76 units and I don't think I would have done that had I not gotten surrounded myself with other people that, and, it, and if I did, you can do it, right? But it probably would have taken me, you know, two or three, four times the amount of time. Yeah. And this is the thing is either you have the money or you have the, the time. Uh, and this is the biggest thing that I learned, Darren, in my life is that rich and wealthy people buy time. I never understood that, that concept. 
And I remember this was Grant Cardone who said it numerous times. And I'll just give an example is I'm a part of uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, where I give back to and I have a little brother that comes from the environment that I uh, came from. And I help. Uh, what is it? Spend time with them, all that. Uh, he's since graduated because he's over 18. But is I remember going to Kings Island and I also went with my uh, friend and his little brother. And I said, hey, let's go ahead and get the, the fast passes. Trust me, it'll be worth it. And we soon as we got to the park, we got the fast pass. At first, it really wasn't that uh, much uh, effective because the park just opened up. But then later, the rides were about two hours uh, long. And however, for us, they were 10 to 15 minutes because we had the fast passes. And that's when it absolutely clicked right there of rich people and wealthy people buying time. So it's the same concept when it comes to this. Yes, you can do it all on your own. But in essence, you're just buying the time is what I've learned. I love that example because it's it's so relatable. People can relate. You know, you go you go to a, a park a park, and the lines are shorter. You can you could go on more rides. I mean, and it was twenty five thirty. 30 bucks more for from general admission to the fast passes. And I'm just looking at all the people. It's like, you could have just paid more and you save yourself time. But many people just don't understand that concept. And that was me. I always looked at, oh, I'll just save some. But I didn't realize the value of the time, which is actually even more important. You don't get back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. My wife and I went to um, one of the parks in, in Florida and it was Halloween. They had all the... Um, different haunted houses, and we That's bought. My birthday. It's is it Halloween's your birthday? Yeah, both my brother and I. Yeah, he nice. beat me out the womb by two minutes though. So, <laughs> <unfortunately>. <laughs> nice. So we went and we we paid. I want to say it was it was more than just a few bucks, but it, it was. But we paid a, a higher price so that we get access to. And next thing you know, they're leading us into, and we went into every one of the haunted houses and we saw the lines and some people I th think waited like three hours to, to get into one of these things. And we were in and, you know, five minutes in front, you know, in front. Um, and you went through multiple. So one person was waiting three hours to go through one, one. Right. So they may only went, went to one or two haunted houses and maybe we went to, you know, six or seven and, and we were, you know, done. Um, but that re I can relate to that. And it's so, 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 so true. Um, I had one guy on Instagram say, hey, I would join one of these mentorship groups if they would guarantee me a deal. I'm like, don't pay the money. Like, yeah. if, if you're a guy that is going to expect that they're just going to hand it to you, like, it's don't do it. It's just giving you access to people that have already been successful. And it's your job still to do the work of making it happen and building the relationships with the team members that you need, but it gets you in the room, you know, where if you're not in the room, it's just much more difficult and yeah. time consuming. Yeah. And even to this day, I'm looking to get into different rooms. There's an organization, entrepreneurs uh, organization where you have to have minimally a million uh, dollars revenue in order to get into that. So me networking with those people and a lot, many of those people are even further along than me that I have to figure out ways to build relationships with them. And one uh, individual is I uh, he, he had mentioned that uh, he hasn't been in the gym for a couple months uh, or so. And I said, hey, let's go to the gym together. I'm more than happy to kickstart uh, things right. off for you. And that's a prime example of someone of being value-based and just being creative with how uh, I'm a fitness person. Okay, that's the thing that they lack in. That's the value creation there. And we're I'm just being around this person because, one, the, the type of think that it takes uh, or the, the type of of, uh, uh, what is it, uh, quality of individual to get into that organization. And he's even light years away in his business than I am uh, as well. So I always figure out ways to build up on those relationships and make it value-based as well. Yeah, that's cool. Because now you go to, say he says yes, you go to the gym. Now he gets to know Sterling. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? Sterling is a pretty good guy. Like, I, you know, I, I want to hang out with him more. And yeah, this was, I mean, we had already hung out several times after that. And even in that gym that we went to, which is like the uh, country club of uh, Houston, it's called the uh, Houstonium. I don't have a membership there. He has a membership. It's quite the check that you have to cut. He's introducing me to other 
people. So that is the value, you guys. And I'm just a prime example of that. Yeah. Yeah, there's, look, there's, there's real estate deals that, um, I was riding with a guy recently and he was, he had bought some land with two other guys. And he said, I just got the call from, you know, the, a good friend of mine. And he said, hey, you should come in on this deal. And like, you don't get that phone call if you don't build the relationship, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. So, I mean, that that's people, I think some people are a little short-minded in terms of, uh, you know, spending a little bit of money. It's interesting because you said it there. You're you're always still trying to get into other rooms, and 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 I've had so many successful people that, you know, they've already they already have the wealth now. They they built up you know three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand units, but they're like, I'm in these three masterminds. They like they still see value in trying to learn from other people that are further along than they are. Yeah, and there's different perspectives. And yes, the the growing of the unit count is cool and all that. But also what I've learned from people further along than me is just life lessons. And one thing I've got from uh, EO as a prime example is that I thought it was just strictly from, going from to what? be. Uh, it's called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Okay. But is the, the biggest thing I've learned from that through our, they call it forums, but they're in essence many masterminds that what we work on is not even so much the business side. We work on our actual selves and that will enable us to be uh, better in the business. And I'm one of the youngest people that's in that organization. And I'm learning for all these other people that are minimal age, I would say 45 to, to 50. Uh, no, maybe about 40, 45. So I'm able to just. So you uh, just, you yeah. just aged me out of it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's guys that are older. All right, there's guys that are over 50. All right, all right. I'm sorry I jumped in. (laughs) But, yeah, that's what I was simply saying is that because I'm a firm believer that, yes, it's good to learn from your own mistakes, but it's even better to learn from others. And I'm always about just information and expanding my mind because – there's limiting beliefs I know I still have to this day. And when I put myself around others that are even further along in their journey or let, let, let's say life's journey or even business journey, that they think a certain way. And when they say certain things, they're like, hmm, that's interesting. I have this certain thought they or belief. They have this certain belief. Why do they have that belief? And then that opens up the conversation. And I think it's Ralph Waldo Emerson that says that once the mind is, uh, what is it, uh, an idea comes to it, it can never go back to being the same. Say that again. Once an idea comes Once the mind is expanded with an idea, uh, it can never go back to being the same. Because that idea has been presented to it. And so that's part of what is... Yeah. Yeah. Let's say the rich people. Yeah. yeah. Let's say the rich people uh, buy time uh, concept. Right. Once yeah. that idea hit my mind, it could never go back to where. Let's say I remember when I was really young, my mother would drive around to all these different gas stations to save five to ten cents per gallon. And right. that was just one of the beliefs that I had. And then once I got a new belief, it could never go back to having uh, doing something such as that. That's that's cool. That's cool. I. This is completely different, but I, I think it's similar in the sense that, um, so, so I, I was renting a house in a neighborhood that had a, I don't know if you've ever heard of these things, uh, like a crystal lagoon. So it's, it's kind of like a huge, huge pool that looks crystal clear. It doesn't put, you don't put chlorine in it. But instead of having a golf course in the community, it has this you know, it's got beaches and docks that you can jump off. It, it's really cool. I mean, feel you feel like on vacation. But one guy said, and he he was a pilot, and he was he was living there. He's like, when we moved in from out of town, the realtor showed us to all these different neighborhoods. And once I saw this, I just can't unsee it. Yep. Like, wow. so I would go to all the other neighborhoods, but does it have a crystal lagoon? No. Like, and so you have that thought in your head and like, how does that match up? Okay, every, you're bouncing everything off of that. That's awesome. Um, I'm learning from you, my man. I love it. Um, hey, what's the next big stretch goal for you? Where do you go from here? 
I'd say is one of the things I'm really working on is philosophy and then just calming a lot of my mind down. So I've taken on learning philosophies such as Taoism, Taoism, also Stoicism. And one of the key principles I got from that is that, what is it? Understanding the things that I can control and then also the things that I can't control. So that's one. And then also that people are going to be people at the end of the day. That's the second. And then also seeing the world for what it is and not what I believe it actually should be. That, that's pretty deep, my friend. Um, yeah, I, we can go down some rabbit holes. Are we ready yeah, for that's to pretty, add on that, to the, the that, podcast? That's pretty, that's pretty deep. You know, look, I, um, I don't know where you stand on this, but we are going down philosophy a little bit. But, you know, people say that, man, the world is so, like, bad today. And so it's so hard and this and that. And I'm like, you know, I get that there's things today that are different than before. But, you know, if you, if you look at the Bible or, or talk to people from other generations, like people are still concerned about the same things, man. Like, exactly. do I have enough money? Like, like, do I, you know, do I have good relationships? You know, am I physically fit? You know, like all... All these same worries are in our life. You know, yeah, there's social media and it has impacts and all these different things. And there's pros and cons. Uh, but, you know, it comes down to a lot of the same stuff that people were grappling with years and years and years and years ago. Um, so, yeah. and, and, and we have a choice, right? We have a choice to focus on the positive or focus on the negative. That's our choice. Exactly. And also with that is it's very interesting to hear from certain philosophers on exactly what you had mentioned, that a lot of the same issues in the past and what they're talking about, it's like that applies to today. Uh, and as a, a prime example is that how people are uh, going to act in their best interests and their best interests many of the times may actually not be in your best interest. So it's just understanding that or some people talk about, let's say, in politics or whatever. I'm not going down that, that rabbit <laughs> hole, but they say there's corruption in that. But let's let's give a uh, example for people that say that. And this goes back to one of the principles I was mentioning. Let's say, Darren, you're in a room with the president and the they say they're going to put sanctions on let's say uh, you have a $1 million investment in the med uh, medical company and the sanctions are that they're gonna put is it's likely that that $1 million investment is gonna go down to $500,000. What would you do? And let's say that's a stock in the company. What would you do in that case? I would probably lobby against that, right? Like try to find out why, why, you know, why are you doing it? And look, my best interest is to not have that happen. Right. So I'd probably try to figure out a way if if there was one to not have that happen. Gotcha. Or the the common way what people would do is they would just make the trade. So they would just take their investment and then just move it somewhere else. But that is what you would call insider trading as an example. But then I look at that. Is that really? Yes, it is bad in a way, but that person's looking out in their best interest. So they have the information. Or are they just going to just ride along? or they're just gonna act in their best interest from that. So it's just understanding the, the core of that. And then that goes back to another principle, which is back from, which is from the, the book, The Four Agreements, uh, is not to take anything personal. And if you understand the principle of people are gonna act in their best interest, which is not a lot of times in your best interest, is to not take anything personal and then accepting that that's just out of your control. That's a great philosophy. It's, it's hard for a lot of people, right? It's hard for a lot of people to, to not take things personally. But I can tell you're a guy of, that has thick skin. I tell my kids, I'm like, you got to have thick skin, man. The, the, the world's going to come at you with a lot of different stuff, and you got to let it bounce off. Um, hey, what do you like to do outside of work for fun? I like to travel. So Tra where? I, just, I just got back from Guadalajara, which is in Mexico. Okay. So, yeah, I speak I speak Spanish. So that's one thing. So learning more of that language, because right now <clears throat> I would say I'm about intermediate so I can have the conversation. But when it comes back to me, it still sounds gibberish. So that's what I'm working <laughs> on now. It sounds very fast. I can get some parts. So there's that. Also studying philosophy. I've really enjoyed uh, that and listening to the Marcus Aurelius's 
the uh, Epictetus, all these individuals that are, far, what is it, way back when and understanding, Marcus Aurelius was the, at that point in time, the uh, most powerful person on the planet. And he wrote this, uh, it's called Meditations, but it was essentially just his thoughts. Uh, and just hearing that from that individual talking about the things, understanding the things he can control and not control, also not uh, having desires against the, uh, with the, the flesh and women and all that and getting conquered by it. So all these different things that he talks about, I was just like, this person talked about that and how that relates to today, it's just mind blown. So I enjoy, and that just opens other questions. And I know I'm getting all super excited about this. So I'll just leave it at that. Well, I, what, one thing that I think is awesome, I mo you know, most people are when, when I ask that question or say travel and, and whatever sports that they enjoy, um, you know, but you come across as a guy who, you know, look, this is a real estate show and people typically listen to it for wealth building um, type of opportunities. But I think it's so key that you focus on the whole self, right? Like you're, you're not just focused on the wealth building, but you're also focused on how can, how can Sterling be a, a better guy? How can tomorrow I be better than I was yesterday? And yeah. You know, so that's, that's huge. So I, I applaud you for that. Um, hey, man, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. Um, look forward to meeting up face-to-face -face at some point. Hopefully you're in Houston, I'm in Dallas. If you're ever in Dallas, you know, definitely look me up and I'll do the same in Houston. And, um, you know, how are the toilet sizes there? If the toilet sizes are bigger, I'm definitely making a travel out there to Dallas. Toilet sizes Perfect. here are, are the same. Hey, how do people reach out? How do people get to know you better? Yeah, so one uh, is you can visit sterlingwhiteofficial.com. That is sterlingwhiteofficial.com. And then also I'm on YouTube as well. You just type in Sterling White, and I've got tons of content that I push out there, uh, especially on the side of uh, finding deals off market and going direct to the owner. I can vouch, man. This guy is, uh, he's out there on, on YouTube, man. You put in his name, and you're going you're gonna to see him pop up for sure. Um, Really appreciate you coming on. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>